Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Well, it's been a rough few weeks for the world, for us personally and for the world. And uh, as I mentioned to you before, we're going to take a stroll through the letter of uh, Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans. So we'll be looking at that portion that was read today in chapter 1, verses 8 through 17. Well, I was reading a uh, commentary by a colleague of mine about this week's Torah portion, and and in it uh, he wanted to relate it to the, you know, the events of uh, the last week or so, particularly you know in Paris, and all that's going on there. And he quoted this portion from a uh, a journalist who lives in Paris. It says, in the wake of the recent acts of violent terrorism in Paris. Charlie Hebdo cartoonist Joanne Sfar shared a drawing asking people not to pray for Paris. That's hashtag, by the way, hashtag not to pray for Paris. The cartoon stated, friends from the whole world, thank you for the pray for Paris. There was a campaign, hashtag pray for Paris. But we don't need more religion. Our faith goes to music, kisses, life, champagne, and joy. Hashtag Paris is about life. As I thought about that uh, sentiment, I thought, is this what we've come to? If we have, then evil has won. Evil wins the day. When we, when we surrender our faith to bullets, to terror, to fear. And I was thinking, you know, what is it about our faith? And not religion. Religion, you know, it's, listen, religion like every other human endeavor has its good parts and its bad. And there's always going to be that way. And if you are expecting perfection in religion or any other institution, you are sadly mistaken. It doesn't work that way. No, it's not about religion. It's about faith. And it's about faithfulness. And that's what I want to talk about this morning from this portion from Romans. So we know Rav Shaul, uh, he didn't really know the Roman congregation. He knew a few people in it. You get that from the 15th chapter where he says hello to a few people he knows. But in general, he doesn't know these people. And so it's his desire as the apostle to the nations to deliver a message of hope in a world that was just as violent as ours. It was a violence of a different kind. You know, I mean, the Roman people, the Roman government, its army, were vicious, particularly if you weren't one of them. We think of the Roman Empire and all of its glory. Its glory was built on the blood of millions. Just as there may be people in the world who want to build their kingdoms of death on the blood of millions of us. 
And in the midst of all of this, Paul wants to come with a message of hope. That there is a better way. There is a better vision for the world. You know, in today's Torah portion, when Jacob is in the, in the desert, and there he sees the vision of heaven. He had a vision of something greater than the wasteland around him. And if we are going to be faithful people, we have to have a vision greater than fear. And if we submit to that, then we might as well pack our gear now and do what our friends suggest. Our, our faith is about music and kisses and life and champagne and better make it a double. If that's the way it's going to be. But that's not it. Paul says in the 8th verse and following, he says, I thank my God through Messiah Yeshua for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. There was something unique in the message that they were bringing into the world that they lived in. A place where people were routinely you know, slaughtered in the, in the arenas for the entertainment of others. Thrown to animals. Can you imagine that? For people's entertainment. But he is saying, there is a message that we bring. And we know what the final result was. It overthrew the empire, the faith of those people. We are stronger than evil. Evil is strong, but we are stronger than that. And we don't have to do everything with a gun either. Because our faith needs to stand up for something greater than that. Greater than <laughs> champagne. That'd be a darn good bottle. Bollinger 53, thank you. No. You see, our message is supposed to have power in it. The power of faith, the power of hope, the power of life and peace. These are powerful things. And Paul is saying, your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Everybody is hearing about it. Are people hearing about our faith? Do people know what we believe and why we believe it? Why we do the things that we do? Why we won't look to take advantage of another person. Why we will do acts of kindness because it's right to do so. Why we're willing to sacrifice. Do they know? They even know. Well, we need to proclaim. There is no other way. And we need to pray for Paris, despite this lady. Because she might be one of the dead ones if somebody did not pray. He goes on to say, he says, uh, Paul does, he says, For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers, making re request that perhaps now, as at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. You know, pr praying for each other is a really important thing. It's not, it's not a formality, people. 
I don't know how you feel about it, but it is powerful. It is essential. And we need to be praying for one another, praying for the world. How many of you have ever been to the Kotel in Israel? Hmm? Have you been there? It's a really powerful place, not just because of some, you know, sentimentality. You know, it, you know, we all get sentimental when you go there. Now I'm talking about a power that emanates from that place where people pray 24 hours a day. There is a power that comes from that. Anyone who's ever really been there knows that. Who's ever prayed there knows that it's more than emotion. And that's the power of prayer. And we need to do it like we need to breathe. And we need to do it for one another. I can't live without the prayers of you people. I've told you this before. For those of you who know me, you know me pretty well. I keep a picture in my, in my beat-up old Bible here. Those of you who know me know this, know this, already, this story already, but this... I keep a picture of somebody in here. She's passed away in a number of years. That's Alice Bureau. Those of you who knew Alice, you knew what she was. She was one of the most powerful prayer warriors I ever met. And I'd be dead now if it were not for her prayers. That's the truth. And I have to say, I think she's still praying for me, keeping me alive. At least I hope so. Hope she's not too busy with other things up there. But that's the power of prayer. It saves lives. It protects us. And you need to do it. We need to do it. For each other, for our nation, for Israel, for Paris. And for our enemies, too. Messiah Yeshua teaches us to do that. Because that's power. Paul goes on to say in this portion, he says, um, he says, I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I may, in, uh, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. You know, I hope that when people come here, we're encouraged. I hope we encourage each other. Life is hard enough. It's difficult day by day, getting up, doing what you got to do. Uh, life is not that easy. I wish it was. I wish it was a piece of cake. I wish, like Michael was telling us before, those angels were doing all the work and all we had to do was just hang out and, you know, throw back. Maybe enjoy a little of that champagne. But it's not like that. We all know that. We all have to do, we have to work. We have to struggle with life and with relationships and with the difficulties that this world is confronting us with right now. And let's be realistic about it. It's dangerous. It's, it's difficult. We're lucky we live here in America where we're safer. Pray for, pray for this country every day that we don't collapse. So we need encouragement. 
I need to be. I need your encouragement, people. When you pe- when people say bad things about me, it hurts, just like it hurts you. We all need to be encouraged. None of us is bulletproof. And so I hope when we come here, we are encouraged. I hope when my these things I say to you encourage you, give you some hope about what we can do for our own sake and for the sake of others. And every day, look for a way to encourage each other. It's easy to tear things apart. You know, when I was in the construction business, it was always, demolition was always the easiest part. Knock down a few pillars, then stick a piece of dynamite and blow it all up. It's a whole lot harder to build things, isn't it? So encourage each other, please. He goes on in this portion to say to us, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I've planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, as even among all the rest of the Gentiles. You know, he says, he goes on, he says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also in Rome. And I could go into a whole explanation of that Greeks and barbarians and the difference therein, but it doesn't really matter. His mission was to the nations, and he wanted people, um, he wanted to, he had an obligation. You know what it feels like to be obligated to something, have a drive for something. And maybe that's one of the things that will make our, our, our message known. If we have zeal for it. You know, if we have passion for what the good news is about. Do you have that passion in your soul that makes you, that makes you want to say to everyone you say, listen, there's a better way. And let me share that with you. There's something better for this world. There's a way for us to do it better. We can. Because we have the power of God's spirit working within us. We don't have to do it the way we're doing. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be selfish. We don't have to rely on music and kisses and champagne and stuff like that to deaden the realities of life because life with God is glorious. We'd have to have a passion for it. And what is all of this based on? Is it all based on, you know, some kind of pie in the sky, some wishful thinking, some desire for something better because after all the world is so tragic, isn't it? The world is tragic, and it's easy to look, you know, look at the screen and say, ah, you know, the heck with it, as clearly this young lady has done. You know, throw up your hands and say, you know, there's no hope, there's, no, there's nothing else. This is reality. Let me suggest to you, this is the farthest thing, or the world we have built is the farthest thing from reality that we could possibly imagine. 
And so Paul says to them in verse 16 and 17, these, this is the very heart of this letter. The very message that he wishes his people to know. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the power of This is the plan. This is reality, people. I know we, we, we look around and we see all these bad things happening and we say, how, wait a minute, how can you even say that? You know, let's uh, do hashtag don't pray for Paris. No. It's because we don't even know what the gospel is. See, that's the problem and we're going to learn before we're finished with this letter, we're going to know what the gospel is. And we're going to try our very best to live it out, I hope. So what is it? Last week I told you that the gospel is the kingdom of God. That's the message. When Messiah Yeshua came, what did he preach? He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's about the kingdom. You see, we're too the gospel. Oh, here's what you do, dear. Believe in this Jesus guy, and uh, don't worry, you'll go to heaven. That's all very nice. It's a lovely sentiment. It may even be part of everything, but it is not the good news. The good news is not about your sorry little butt going to heaven. I'm sorry. No. It's much bigger than that. Much bigger. a much bigger thing. The gospel is about the kingdom of heaven being established on this planet and those of us who are, who are citizens of that acting out the kingdom. Living out the, king the promises of the kingdom in this world and building a world based on its principles. We're not going to do it by the gun, by the way. We're not going to do some jihad in order to establish it. Each one of us is going to live our lives the way we're expected to. And that will overtake the world. With no shots being fired. If we only have the courage to do it. That's all it takes. Our willingness. He says, it is the power. The gospel is the power of salvation. Is the power of God for salvation, excuse me, to everyone who believes, who everyone who puts his trust in this truth. Okay? What is that? God may has made promises. We can go back to the listen, I'll tell you what, without the shortcut. Go back, read, you know, uh, Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3, and you see the promises that God made to Abraham, to Abraham's family, and to the rest of humanity. And God will fulfill those promises and is fulfilling those promises to all of them. I was just doing a class with some of the kids for Bar Mitzvah. We went over this and I said, listen, but God made a promise and said to Abraham he was going to bless him and make his name great. You think his name is great? And... I said, is there a person on this planet that doesn't know who Abraham is? 
But you have to be living in some kind of stinky little hole not to know. Right? God make his people great. The Jewish people have been here for 4,000 years and we remain. And God will bless the world. And even though it doesn't look like the world is living in blessing right now, God will fulfill his promises. The kingdom will conquer in the end. That's the story of this whole book, by the way. If you get to the last page, it says in the end here, let me just paraphrase it for you. Real quick. Just a quick paraphrase. God wins. Okay. (laughs) Gee, I read the end of the book. Do I need to read the rest? No. So, it is the power of salvation to all who believe. In verse 17 it says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, But the righteous man shall live by faith. Hate that translation. Doesn't say it. What does that mean, from faith to faith? You know... From whose faith to whose faith? You know, uh, I could go into the technical arguments. There are huge technical arguments here, which I am not going to bother or bore you with. But in it, what, by, by the way, what is the righteousness of God? I think we need to understand terminology. What did Paul mean anyway when he said righteousness? So I'm going to give you, a, I'm gonna give you um, an equation. Okay? Justice plus mercy equal righteousness. You got that? Justice plus mercy equal righteousness. Justice all by itself can be very cruel. Very cruel. You know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that sort of thing. That's why the whole world is blind. Because the way too many people see justice. Justice doesn't mean that everything is, that we do things well. It means that I get what I want. I get what I think I deserve. That's what justice is in this world. I want justice. No, I don't. I want what I want. That's what justice means. Wrong definition. Justice on its own is just that. We said it's justice and the mercy of God. And really, I'm not sure many of us know how to do that very well. We must rely on God. But that is the righteousness of God. And we have to depend on that or we're lost. We can practice it to the best of our ability to be just but to be merciful. If we can do those two things, then we can be righteous in this world. It says, and that that righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, you know? So what does it mean, from faith to faith? Where is pistis, if you care, in the Greek language? It's been argued about what the meaning of this word is for, for a very long time. And now, I think we have a better understanding of its meaning. It's from God's faithfulness to mine. This would be better translated, 
that way, from faithfulness to faithfulness, from God's faithfulness, because he is a fulfiller of promises. And to our faithfulness, that we might follow him in doing what he commands of us. Not that I believe something, you know, it's all, you know, I, I believe, I believe in Jesus. Okay, good. That's a good place to begin. Now it has to translate into something that matters. Things that really and truly matter. Because it says, the righteous man shall live by his faithfulness. That's how we're going to win the war. There's a, there's a term that's going to be coming up in the weeks to come. I want to just give you a definition of it that I found that is just marvelous. It's the word justification. There's another one of these terms that drives everybody out of their mind. Justified and saved. We think of it as saved. You know, God saved me. He saved me from my sin and justified me and so on. But here's a definition that comes from a man named uh, Harrink, Douglas Harrink, in an article he wrote on justification. He said, justification is the definitive, cosmic, apocalyptic act of the one God of Israel in Messiah Yeshua, in Jesus Christ, whereby this God, through the death and resurrection of the faithful one, conquers the powers which hold the nations in bondage and reconciles the world to himself in order that he might create in Christ a new people, indeed finally, a whole new world in which loyalty, obedience, and faithfulness to the one God of Israel is made possible among the nations in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if you got that entire definition, but it is awesome. And it goes way beyond me getting to go to heaven. It's bigger than that. Yeah, we get, we get to live with the Almighty One forever. And I'm looking forward to that like you have no idea. But it's more than that particularly in a world that is struggling to survive every single day. I'm waiting one morning to wake up to find out somebody pushed the button. Aren't you? Yeah, you know what I mean? But there's a better thing. A better thing than that. A whole new world in which loyalty and obedience and faithfulness to the one God of Israel is made possible through the Holy Spirit. That's our work in the world today because we have the backing of God who's doing it all. If we will follow him from his faithfulness to ours, from his faithfulness to ours, and we can change the world. Start right here in your own heart and let it spread to all of us, to pray for each other, encourage each other, encourage the world, pray for the world. Influence the world through our work. And we will realize, we will help God to realize this sooner rather than later. That's our challenge today, not to live in fear, but to stand up and live in faithfulness.
May God give us the power to do it. And Lord, I just want to pray that uh, I want to pray for Paris. Hashtag pray for Paris, actually. A little champagne wouldn't hurt either. But Lord, I do want to pray for all of us that we would have the power of this faithfulness, which you showed in our Messiah Yeshua, the faithful one. It was through the faithfulness of our king, through his willingness to lay himself down for all of us, for the whole world, that allows me, maybe, maybe, if I will only yield to you, to be faithful. Give us that power, O oh Lord, through your spirit. Amen. Congregation, would you turn with me as we conclude our service to page 78. You see, here's the thing. All these forces in the world, all these forces of darkness and evil, whatever they, they're based on, these craziness, is all for naught because our God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, is Rabono Shel Olam, the master of the universe. And this we proclaim to all the world as the first order of business.